big sky, big potential. This is Eastern Promise. Welcome to episode 72 of the Eastern Promise podcast, where this week we'll be examining efforts to look to our region's most precious resource, the young people who'll need to turn our legacy into their future. The Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association, or RNAA, has tasked itself with finding out what the next generation of young people in the county want from older generations. To guide this engagement, and with broad support from partners, such as the University of East Anglia and the Norwich Research Park, the RNAA has created Norfolk Voices for Norfolk's Future, an initiative which aims to find out how our legacy should shape their future. And finally... We'll be launching a light-fingered look at what you'd pinch from parts beyond our region. Get your five-fingered discount in this week's Crowd Sorcery. The co-founder of Apple, the late Steve Jobs, warned against becoming trapped by the results of other people's thinking. We all want our individual legacies to be positive, leaving the world a better place for our being in it. Yet, we are arguably failing to ensure each generation leaves a fair and just inheritance behind it, especially when it comes to the environment. Just Stop Oil Extinction Rebellion, are these groups an extreme manifestation of Steve Jobs' warning, the vehement refusal of younger generations to be trapped by the consequences of past thinking? However, one cannot be trapped in a future you had an equal hand in creating, and the Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association is determined to ensure the voices of the county's younger generations are heard. So much so that it was a cornerstone of June 2023's Royal Norfolk show, when the RNAA commissioned a short film gathering the opinions of young showgoers on the first day. Here's what they said. I think in the future, um, I would hope to see some, like, some more sustainable agricultural practices, especially in sort of the meat industry because it has a rather heavy impact on carbon emissions. So I think it would be a good idea to improve on those. Oh, less wastage, I guess, and like everyone gets some sort of food and everything works out in a way that nobody's like struggling to buy food. Just sustainable and stuff like that. Oh, I think probably uh, investing in sort of more technology and um, sort of helping to keep up because obviously we're very uh, heavy on farmers and uh, keen on farming so using the use of new technology to assist that and to keep Norfolk as an important uh, region in the country for uh, produce. Just less carbon emissions being brought out and like more like 
more sort of like last meat being like produced and stuff. Just for it to like improve and get to a point where like we're basically as sustainable and as we can be and working towards the best environment that we can. My hopes is that people invest more into local business and that local farming becomes more popular. I think we need to invest more in technology but also keep the old methods because I think they're very effective. You heard there from Robert, Tegan, Monty, Mia, Noah, Lauren and Thomas. And their views were shared with an audience of officials, politicians and decision makers on the second day of the show. After the event, I asked Director of Conservation at the Holcombe Estate, Jake Fines, to reflect on the film and share his thoughts. I'm encouraged but I'm slightly nervous because... It's our generations, it's the 40-plus, which are influencing their thinking. Yeah. And some of the things that are, you know, spur of the moment, populist for a time, and actually are then found to be flawed uh, in, in what we're doing, actually they are picking up on some of that. I was really interesting that meat reduction came out again and again and again. I thought the discussion on AI, that there was nervousness within the panel of AI, as much as we shared nervousness, diversity and inclusion didn't feel a part of it where we know that agriculture is one of the least diverse and included industries alongside conservation. So there's a lot of work to do there, although some of the voices within the room were from, from more diverse backgrounds. So there were some difficult questions there and trying to don't expect them to be able to provide the answer for everything. I don't think we should expect them. But we should make them feel like they are their voices are heard. As, as, as I said at the start. Yes, part of the conversation. Yeah. It just uh, you know, and for us to listen, we don't do enough listening because we are the, we are the generation that has to instigate the start of the change. We've had you know we've got all of these issues you know they're, they're, and you can I can you know health and uh, biodiversity and sustainability, fossil fuels. You know, there's just there's masses to deal with. Um, it is going to cost money, but actually, if we invest in the future, you know, some education, knowledge exchange, you know, I think that that for me is uh, is really key. And this, what is more important than anything, is this isn't just a one-off kind of Norfolk show. Have a moment, get them to hear their voices, and nothing else. It needs to have, it needs to be accelerated and get traction. Get, get you know, go to all of these Norfolk rural schools, get their opinion, you know, and get different schools to speak to one another you know because they will you know as well as the urban population of Norfolk don't forget them because we're always going to get we're always going to get the rural schools and then we forget how many inner city schools and their opinions and understand where their food comes from you know the, a lot of the work the country trust does uh, and it's, it's deeply worrying about uh, the the lack of understanding of where of how a potato is grown how a carrot is grown what impact that has on the environment and, uh, and what choices individuals and the young people can make and how they can influence their parents. Because actually, if their parents are influenced, we start to enact change. And that, you know, as, a, as, a, as my memory of a child, of the food that was put on the table and how I understood how that was provided for and how that was grown, 
actually we've lost that connect connectivity within yes. our with it you know from food to fork or from tab table to field there's a there's a lack of there's a real lack of knowledge eight with over 90 percent of people in living in urban areas we uh uh Historically, everyone knew a farmer or had a relation. My uncle was a farmer or my cousin was a farmer. We've lost all that. That connectivity between the, 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 the greater population and the rural community has been lost, and we need to reconnect that. That's really key. My thanks to Jake Fines, and especially to Robert, Tegan, Monty, Mia, Noah, Lauren and Thomas. Having collected these opinions and heard from young leaders in the agricultural sector, the RNAA is launching a new initiative, Norfolk Voices for Norfolk's Future, to address, insofar as it can, the concerns we heard expressed in our six Vox Pops. Emily Norton, an RNAA trustee charged with launching Norfolk Voices for Norfolk's Future and who led the Royal Norfolk Show event, met with me on a very wet Monday afternoon in Norwich to tell me more about the genesis of the initiative. Emily Norton, the Royal yes. Norfolk Agricultural Association. Welcome to Eastern Promise. Uh, we are here in, in the Waterstones Cap in the centre of Norwich because we don't trust the weather not to not to uh, ruin an outdoor recording session. But you were in the chair for the Norfolk Voices Norfolk's Future event at the very recent Royal Norfolk show. Just talk us through the genesis of that event and where, where from your point of view particularly, that all came from. Okay, so um, thank you very much for inviting me here today You're very welcome. for the cup of tea. Um, the Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association, I've just joined as a trustee, so very recently, <clears throat> and um, I think they have, have rightly done a bit of navel-gazing, and a lot of the agricultural associations have been in a similar place in being an organisation that represents tradition and history and kind of that kind of profound depth of knowledge and understanding of, of a sector like farming whilst understanding that you know the, the future is going to be different everything within the sector is changing so much with technology and skills and different people coming into the industry to understand that it's really important that they keep engaging they keep understanding how things are differing going forwards so any organization like an agricultural association has this power to bring different organizations together different voices together and that was the piece of work that the rnaa had undertaken was to understand the power of being a convener yes now i think it's particularly important that those convening voices don't just sort of sit within silos um, at, at local level the decisions we're making about farming and land use are massively impacted by all sorts of other things that are also dealt with at local level but within farming are sort of lords and masters tend to be central government but when it comes to say water or planning um, or um, community engagement lots of different things they're all local issues and so the really interesting question in my mind and i think where i was really keen to push this organization this this particular event towards was saying um how do we convene more local voices that are all interested in the viability of the future of the sector in a way that brings those voices together so to make sure that you know the voice of farming is heard not because it's dealt with by deference central government but because it has that strong local voice locally mm. that is then engaging in, in all these different levels of conversation about the vibrancy of the sector here now that's all very good and great and it could just be another talking shop right 
I also have this thing. <laughs> this amazing, it's really nerdy, but this amazing piece of legislation that exists in Wales called the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, which is incredible at bringing together disparate voices, breaking down all those kind of decision-making silos that you get across councils and fire authorities and all those different kind of local bodies that exist to say, how will we all coming together to make the best choices about our place, the place that we are from, whilst taking the needs of the future into account? And, and I think... That is so important in my mind. If you bring together those disparate voices, planners, you know, we mentioned them all before, and put them in a room, they'll all just generally point out the problems that we all know exist. Um, the really interesting bit comes when you say, how is this meeting the needs of the future? How do you get outside your own sort of sphere of concern and the immediate problems that are facing you and your job and mm -hmm. say, what do we need to do to make things better for the future? So that was the challenge. But without that kind of, I guess, kind of legislative structure, whatever it might be, the idea came to be, well, let's ask the youth, the future mm. of our industry and the future of our county, what they think we could be doing in order to make food and farming industry better for the future. So a slightly convoluted story of having that powerful central voice that the RNAA can be with understanding that all of these new influences are impacting on agriculture now that we've left the common agricultural policy. Plus, in my opinion, this really important idea of engaging future voices. You make me think of a very interesting example that I've raised a couple of times on the podcast, which is when it comes to planning, a lot of the de democratic elements of that are focused around, especially the representative elements, the people who already have a well-established stake in a community. Yeah. Nobody in the planning process, although it speaks for the future generation that yeah. says, actually, we want to be part of this place. Yeah. We don't have a, a home here yet, but yeah. we hope we will. Yeah. And, you know, without going to things like the housing stock's not turning over fast enough, and uh -huh. if we want, we want to keep yeah. the shop and, the, you know, the village hall, and we want to keep the church and the parish church and so on and so forth, then we have to be part of that decision. Yeah. And nobody speaks for them. And I think what's really creditable about what you're doing is that you're, gonna, you're saying, we want to hear your voice. We yep. don't want to speak for you. Yep. We want to hear you speak. Yeah. So the way that I described that was that this was the opportunity for those who were in those positions of power to listen up. Yeah. And so that process of listening up, I think, is so important. It annoys me intensely when senior figures across any sector say we need to educate, to educate consumers. We need to educate those below us. We need to educate the youth of tomorrow. Because all that's really doing is kind of transferring those kind of existing embedded biases and yeah. wealth dynamics and whatever it might be upon the next generation and not accepting that the next generation might actually want to do things differently. Now, you layer on everything that we know about climate crisis, the environmental crisis, um, the water crisis, you know, all of these different levels of health and inequality that we know are going on. And then you say, yeah, let's ask the same people what they think, <laughs> yes. you know. The people who've been doing it so badly wrong for the last 25 years but are now embedded in positions of power. And you're going to get exactly the same answers, right? There's no innovation there at all. So I think one of the most interesting things that came out of the event for me was maybe still that young people are not confident enough to innovate and to really think about doing things differently. And actually, if we were teaching our young people to be more innovative and, and to think about different structures, how we might produce different outcomes yeah. long term. How do you free uh, a generation to think differently with the tools of the generation before them? And how do you encourage them to develop your own, their own tools and say, ignore what we did, never mind that. What do, you, what do you want to do? What are, what's in your hands? What are the levers you can pull 
or get us to pull for you. And, yeah. it, it, and what you're describing, and I come over this in the podcast so often, from the UEA Civic Programme to the various sort of colleges in Cambridge, I, I could dance a name, we could sit here all day and I could pick names out for Cambridge, but it's leadership. Yep. And it's how do you free these people up to lead and, and, and say, we need to follow yeah. their lead to a certain so degree So I now. think that's an interesting thing. And um, <clears throat> when, you, when you reflect on kind of who's in power at the moment, there, there is a group who are in power for themselves. And they say, I'm, you know, I have my tribe and they're following me. And it might be a really tiny subset of the population, but you still feel that, you know, you're, you're speaking for, for a group of people. And, and leaders who actually empower other people to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. Absolutely. And I think that being in leadership to help other people is really rare, but more of what we need. So to say, you're like, yes, how do I understand from where I am, what power, what tools I have available to me to help other people achieve what they want to achieve for themselves? And I think, yeah, you're right. You know, at the moment, they're just the nature of, uh, I don't know, kind of 24-7 news or whatever it might be, we tend to get the ones who shout the loudest, who've got the thickest mm. skin, who kind of are prepared to kind of, you know, just charge through and were, make yeah. a difference. And everyone's like, oh, well, I'm terrified of them. Yeah. But, you know, they got into a position of power. And how do we stop that? How do we stop those kind of voices with something more moderate, more balanced, that's more inclusive, right? Yeah. It's challenging. I mean, and, and it's often on those sort of the news programs, it's, it's whoever makes the most interesting, yeah. the most exciting to watch piece of news, not necessarily the most enlightening, you know, we want the heat, not the light. I mean, at the end of the on Friday of this week, we're going to have any questions here in Norwich. So, you know, that's that's perhaps a hope. I'm hopeful that that will be a, a slightly more uh, genteel and refined encounter. Probably but, not. Uh, probably not. No, um, but uh, development. We shall see. But in terms of what happens now that the event took place, I mean, I think you you collected up a lot of sort of written written yeah. thoughts. Was there anything that came through? Because you you basically. A lot of cards and pens were distributed, postcards and pens, and a lot collected back in. So have you had a chance to sort of go through and see what themes are coming out of it? Not yet. However, mm. um, there is a real push to make sure that we don't lose the momentum of the event. So it was really impactful, had great coverage in the press, obviously, even covering, um, uh, covering it in this, in this podcast is mm. you know, an amazing opportunity to really kind of continue to talk about those kind of issues. But it's, it's very synergistic with a lot of the things that the Royal Norfolk Aquaculture Association is doing, uh, particularly in terms of education um, and showing people um, where the opportunities in aquaculture might be. And I think, if anything, it's to make sure that we keep shining a light back on um, the RNAA itself, but also those other institutions around to say, you know, hang on a minute, the next generation voices are telling us this. How are you actually living up to those values of environmental sustainability or fairness or um, uh, in, embedding nature within your kind of business procurement practices and actually yeah. saying, well, hang on a minute, if we can influence and say this is, we, you know, we, we as an organisation, the Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association as an organisation can stand up for those principles, convene these voices locally, but advocate out and make sure we're not just in the role of educator in the sense of talking down to people, but helping those voices be amplified so they can continue to talk up mm. and other people can listen up, and then I think we'll be doing something really powerful. So that's what I hope. Yeah. In the short term, it might just be a paper and a summary. So the voices that you recorded out in the showground were fantastic and really gave that idea that young yeah. people do care passionately and are well-educated on this stuff. They, they really were. They really were. There was so much uh, sort of focus on the environment and focus on the future of farming and food yep. as well, which, which is apt. Uh, and I have to say, I didn't necessarily go fishing 
for that. In fact, I got more, more far, for, for every one kid, that, one young person that appeared on that, about uh, seven or eight ran away <laughs> at speed. But uh, for those voices that did, did partake, it was fantastic to see sort of the environment and the future, future of uh, agriculture and agrotech. Yeah. Uh, come so to, so much to the fore. Which is such an interesting point that actually there was that real balance between technology and environmental sustainability. Mm. It wasn't simply, okay, you know, how do we preserve nature? And it's all about the birds and the bees. It was very much this idea that we need to invest in technology and keep understanding how technology can do things better for yeah. us. And I think, again, as an intergenerational thing, younger generations have only ever grown up with technology. They only ever understand like how... Um, how technology can make life easier. Um, so rather than you know having to explain to people how to download data into an app and it all being very very boring and clunky for an older generation, you know our, our younger generation are going to expect this stuff to happen by default. So mm. you know how how are we innovating? How are we making sure that our, our sort of our systems around the industry continue to keep up with those changing expectations to be able to say data technology can make these things so much easier and nicer where are we making sure that investment continues to happen to really challenge mm. our, our kind of our limiting beliefs on how far this stuff yes. can go? I've been slightly bemused by the determination that certainly the the manpower issues, the, uh, yeah. the person issues, will be solved, particularly in agriculture, but not only in agriculture, if you throw enough money at the people mm. to do it, which I think on the one sense, it indicates a really poor way of thinking about our young people. It's a yep. poor impression of our young people that they think all, you, all they need is enough money and then they'll do anything like... It kind of negates the fact that, hang on, they may have their own hopes and dreams. You can't just expect them to do what you think is politically convenient because you've thrown enough money at them. And two, hang on, technology is more likely to fill the gap than a human being. So yep. let's look at that and let's find how we can put really cl imaginative, clever young people to use. Yeah to solve some of the more intractable problems that a robot can't. Yeah. And 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 get get more get more that way because I I, I always used to um, remember somebody it, way way back was uh, looking for visas for people to come over to the UK for turkey sexes yeah. in Vietnam. Yeah. And let's just pay young people enough money to be yeah. And I just sat there thinking to myself when I was a a, a, a nipper I cannot. I wanted to be very variously a firefighter, uh, and a, and a, a fighter pilot, yep. and um, you would not have got me to consider a future sexing turkeys for all the tea in China. So why would our young people today? I know, and this is that? this is the point as well, right? When you talked about those kind of who's got the power at the moment, mm. and at the moment the, the language is all around. It's for their convenience. It's for their convenience. We've got the power. We've got the business. We need to employ people, and we're only going to talk about um, those structures in the context of employing more people and mm. employment is a very sort of you know specific role um but actually the people of next generation may not want to be employed they may want to run their own businesses yeah. they may want to innovate they may want just to be able to farm on it on a, on a small holder level they may want to work in a community in a non-profit fashion you know we're not kind of innovating those structures enough it's very much kind of the, the conversation and that's a really good example of one where it's the people with power who are asking uh, for the same thing mm. all of the time, and it gets really boring listening to it. Yeah. You, you mentioned the convening power of the Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association, and that is so important because it sits, the RNAA, in this kind of Venn diagram of organisations where, that, particularly where the showground is physically, uh, you can't see this, listeners, but I'm actually gesticulating with my hands to show where it's sitting uh, specifically. Um, where 
you've got this the new food enterprise park uh -huh. you've got the Sainsbury laboratory and the John Innes Center um, you've got uh, a new food uh, development cluster yep. that's looking at food tech and all these uh, you know you've got yep. the quadrum institute we, where kitchens on every floor you know yep. uh, to test things to make sure so you've got all that farming and food in and you've got agritech eve with belinda clark as well all these venn circles of the venn diagram uh -huh. at the center is pretty much the rnaa yeah and what an incredible convening voice you must have and it's how do you decide then going forward with this stack of postcards and these young voices that you really want to take on their terms not the old generations how do you decide to use that convening power next it's an interesting question um i think because um, there has been a tendency, uh, I, I guess just within the funding structures that have existed around the industry, that you kind of, you build a building and they shall come. So, mm. you know, we'll put all of these people together in a building and then productive stuff will happen. You know, it's, it's not dissimilar to the idea of a city. You get kind of lots of people together and then conversations will spark and those water cooler moments will happen. Yeah. Um, the nature of rurality is that it's a bit trickier than that. You know, you are dissipated across a whole um, footprint of county, you know, so as much as you are sort of gesticulating a sort of a, a, a central hub within that, um, you know, the industry itself is distributed over a big area. And so actually that, that hub in the middle can be really important geographically, physically, mm. as a presence. But actually, um, the, the work that I've done on this before um, really shows that it's it's... It's only a little bit about the building. The building indicates a commitment. Yes. What's really important is the translators. It's the people who understand two sides of the story or the two sides of language, technical language, enough to be able to build the connections between. So what technology is doing, you know, pick artificial intelligence, you know, the, 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 the people working within that sector are so brilliant, you know, and they might be sort of looking at the problems and the applications in isolation. And the people within farming are so brilliant and they're looking at their problems and, you know, challenges in isolation. And, and you know, you put a farmer and, a, and an AI technologist in a room together, they won't be talking the same language. They might both be talking English, but they won't be using the same kind of, like, knowledge or yeah. perceptions or, you know. So having those facilitators that go between to say, these are the problems here, and you go up here and you say, oh, these, this is how you can apply this particular innovation to this particular problem. And that's where the really good cross-pollination mm. comes from. It's from having those people who understand both. Now, that's what I think something like the RNAA can do really well. It, it's sort of understanding in being a convener, it doesn't have to be the expert in everything. It's really about bringing these parts of the puzzle together. And there are some others that are working around our industry who are brilliant in this role. We champion them. How can we kind of again, recognize where the strengths of the industry are, how can we identify where some of the gaps are and kind of, you know, use that best practice. And so I think there's a real kind of a spiritual convening almost, you know, kind yeah. of going, this is what we believe in and we believe in better. And we, we understand the scale of Norfolk agriculture. This is not some kind of local food economy where we're all selling each other pasties, right? You know, this, this, is, this is industrial scale, brilliant, progressive, mm. sustainable farming with some really big customers upstream and downstream of us you know yeah. how do you then get this amazing technology that's happening these amazing innovations are happening to, to work at field scale to, to sort of solve some of the challenges that we've got so you know just getting that and the rnaa really get that you know that's where i think that convening power can come from well absolutely right and uh, emily norman thank you very much for talking to me today eastern promise is absolutely four square behind anything that, that gets those conversations going in an imaginative 
impassioned and safe space. Really look forward to seeing what comes of it. Really happy to sort of underline our support for it. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. You're really welcome. Eastern Promise wholeheartedly endorses the RNAA's initiative and looks forward to doing the same for other initiatives across the region on similar lines. I'm really excited to see how the Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association looks to work with its partners to grow this initiative and bring in as many young voices as possible to shape the future of the county. And now... This is the best, brightest and most vibrant region of the UK. But never let it be said that we're too grand to study what other places and regions have done. Strive to go one better. And if that fails, apparently we'll steal it. That's right, it's Grand Theft Anglia on this week's... Crowd Sorcery. Yes, crowd sorcery. Now, I find it mildly disconcerting that I've had more suggestions for pinching, poloining and pilfering than in any previous crowd sorcery topic ever. What a felonious bunch we are. Our first smooth criminal is Jack Weaver, Chief Operating Officer at Norfolk Chambers of Commerce. Says Jack, I'm a sucker for water parks when we go on holiday. <laughs> and I once went to an indoor one on the outskirts of Munich. It was like a Zeppelin hangar, filled with a tropical microclimate and endless mind-bending water activities. I'd plonk one of those somewhere in the expanse of Norfolk, where it's ecologically a thumbs up. Agreeing with that is Jagita Margalita. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Solutionist, connector and networking queen, marketing and business development manager at Embrock Limited. Water park and open water assault course? It would attract more younger generations for sure. And that's exactly what we're looking at this week, Jagita. A slightly more reluctant convert to a life of crime is Michelle Chambers, business development manager at Chaplin Farrant. I think I have to agree with Jack Weaver and Jagita Margalita that a water park in Norfolk would be fantastic and well used, I'm sure. There's no such hesitation from Dr Tammy Dugan, Life Sciences and Healthcare Partnerships Lead at the University of Cambridge, who declares, another vote here! <laughs> Meanwhile, a more measured approach to appropriation comes from Richard Powell, OBE. Environmental and Charity Advisor and Independent Chair. Says Richard, if I was being flippant, I'd say biodiversity, bring back the volume of nature we've lost. But... I'd steal the Yellowstone Park ethos and introduce it to a big area such as the military training ground at Stanta in the Brex. Big nature for nature's sake and the economy and people benefits will follow that. We haven't had the land since 1942, so no, no commercialisation or housing, a biodiversity park for nature and people. Well, Yellowstone sounds like a great idea, but... Richard, you don't mention anything about the bears or the potential theft of picnic baskets. But nevertheless, says Brian Bush, Head of Business at Impact Renewable Energy, I like this one. 
and Alice Whitney, executive creative producer and director and co-founder at Creative Nation Limited, also adds, I'm with Richard re-putting nature first. I'd also steal the Centre for Alternative Technology and the Eden Project from the other side of the United Kingdom. Also, a serious focus on the right to roam wouldn't go amiss. A final vote for a microclimate comes from Ian Fulcher of IQ Workspace, who says the East of Eden project would be amazing. Steve Bjork, CGI and animation professional at Eggbox Studios, host of the Last Friday Social, has had his ear to the ground meanwhile. There's been a lot of drunken talk at my local about a chairlift stroke cable car similar to the one in London between Ketz Heights and the Catholic Cathedral, possibly stopping midway at the castle. Interesting. But having travelled on the heights of Abraham cable car in Derbyshire, I shall leave it to others to try this one out. Now, criminal enterprises often feel the heat, but it's the entirely lawful variety that Jurgelita Margalita, again, solutionist, connector and networking queen, the marketing and business development manager at Embrock Limited, has in mind. <clears throat> In Lithuania and Scandi countries, it's been used for centuries, and I am so glad to see that it is slowly coming here too. I am talking about affordable, as in a fee to use, saunas. Not one or two, but many on the Norfolk coast to encourage all-year-round swimming or just dips in the sea. It's a great community-building place and minimises social isolation as sitting within a close proximity of someone, you start chatting inevitably. From the heat to the ice and snow now, as Neil Griffin, inspiring knowledgeable business support across the UK's leading provider of innovation spaces, asks, whatever happened to the Snowasis project just outside Ipswich? I was looking forward to cutting some shapes on the largest indoor ski snowboard slope in the UK. Now, having tried this at the indoor slope in Milton Keynes, I can tell you exactly the sort of shape I cut, a snowball. And that strikes a chord, the indoor ski slope, not me resembling a snowball, with Adam Peed, business development strategist at Inuti. I could take some mountains so I could ski every weekend. And from the frozen slopes to the power of the seas now, with David Fieldhouse, a business development professional with a belief that consistency and dedication builds commercially successful business partnerships. Says David, I'd love to have a beach akin to Saunton Sands in Devon to surf lovely long waves. A welcome change of pace from the head of business at Impact Renewable Energy, Brian Bush. Maybe a little redirection, as I would like to bring back a time before tech and phones, says Brian. I wouldn't want to remove them. As far too exciting and beneficial to the region and economy, there would just be some days where it would be good to have a retro switch to hit and we could drive to the coast in a Ford Escort Mark I and take a picnic with Aunt Gladys and the ice cream wasn't the cost of the car. Constance Anker, public affairs advisor at the Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Combined Authority, has heritage in mind and says... A little niche, but I've always loved visiting Salt's Mill in Saltair. I think it's fantastic and forward-thinking use of heritage space. Thank you, Connie. Well, more leisure and information choices here from Wayne Stannett, Principal Director at Reagit. NEC! Simple and direct. I like it, Wayne. And another easy choice comes from Dr Penny Hundleby, Senior Scientist at the John Innes Centre. The Science Museum! Now, I think we can all get behind that one. A slightly more daunting choice here from James Lee Burgess 
augmented reality, spatial computing, creative tech, and digital poverty alliance ambassador. Says James, Sydney Opera House to kick off the East Norwich Master Plan, please. Well, I'd go and see an opera there for sure. But Jack Weaver is not yet done. Says he, the history nerd in me would steal a bloody great big museum ship and park it off the coast on its own Pearl Harbor-esque key. Think HMS Belfast, USS Iowa in Hawaii, that kind of thing. Now, of course, I'd like to reassure the constabularies of Norfolk, Suffolk, Essex, and even Cambridgeshire, should he try to head inland, that Jack would never be so... Oh, dear. Oh, let's skedaddle before the fuzz arrive. And that's a wrap for episode 72. I have been Mike Rigby, host and producer, and I shall be again very soon. Until then, let me thank the Royal Norfolk Agricultural Association, Emily Norton, Jake Fines, our six Vox Poppers, all my crowd sorcerers, and multi-talented man of mystery, Engineer 49, his faders set to stun. Most of all, thank you to you for your company, wherever you are. I'll be with you again soon, so until then, bye for now. You can contact Eastern Promise and find out more about what we do by visiting our website, easternpromise.org.uk. Eastern Promise is a Priors Croft production on behalf of the Eastern Promise East Anglia Community Interest Company. Mmm.